With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hokey hangover. It is me and Ricky. No Andrew tonight, but that's okay, Rick. Yeah, I mean, it always sucks when we're missing one of the amigos. Like we were missing me a couple weeks ago, and now we're missing Andrew. Um, but for, I mean, we were all together on the last pod, and the last pod turned out pretty well. We had we had quite the quite the listenership. So thank you everybody for for listening and tweeting at us your feedback, leaving your your feedback on Apple. Uh, whatever app you use to listen, we got a couple more reviews. Uh, one of which was very, very complimentary of me, and by complimentary, saying I'm a joke. <laughs> so how nice! That's uh, yeah. <laughs> that I mean, you kind of sign up for that when you start a podcast, right? And you start sharing it to people. You're you're gonna have some people that aren't very pleased. So it is what it is. Anytime you share your opinion, you open things up yeah. to scrutiny. And, and it's it's gotten worse now that um you know Twitter and and Facebook have become so adversarial in a lot of ways. Like it, it, every it, or any time you disagree with somebody, like on either one of those platforms, it's assumed that you're doing it in a in an antagonistic fashion, and it just gets out of hand immediately. So. I think that that's something that as a society we should really work on. But I think, I think Virginia tech fans have seen it firsthand right over the last two years, how toxic things can get. Yeah. It's uh, I've been on Twitter and I've been in my fair share of arguments, a lot of which I bring upon myself. Admittedly, (laughs) I will, um, I will jump on a dog pile or I will voice an opinion. That's not always, um, let's just say representative of the entire fan base. So I'm generally on that side of my fair share of the brunt um, to put it. And, and I, I think that's why we kind of teamed up with this pod, right? Cause we, you and I kind of saw ourselves in each other, right? Because we try to be somewhat objective and we try to be intellectually honest and, um, doesn't always work out, right? <laughs> yeah, it do- it doesn't, and um, I-, I think that's that's one of the things that you know. Speaking for Andrew, I knew he was drawn to as well when we decided we were going to do this thing. Yeah, like, well, we have three voices that are pretty vocal among the Virginia Tech social media circle, and that goes a long way. And then you combine that with just journalistic experience, and it makes for a compelling podcast. And I, I think Ricky, like you said, the last podcast that we recorded was the most listened to podcast that we've done so far. So thank you everybody again for listening and for the th- feedback. We hope to kind of continue pushing this forward. Um, Ricky and I tonight are planning on talking about a number of different topics. Um, first and foremost, we wanted to kick it off with Latrell Neville. So Latrell Neville is a four-star Virginia Tech wide receiver. He committed out of the state of Texas last month. And when he committed to Virginia Tech, it was in the middle of that period, like we talked about a couple times on this podcast, where Virginia Tech looked like they were going to gain some momentum on the recruiting trail. And yeah. in the last podcast, we discussed the Demetrius Davis decommitment um, that he announced last week. And the one thing that we mentioned about Latrell Neville was we weren't sure if he was going to remain in the boat because a big reason why, or at least what we perceived as a big reason why he, you know, committed to Virginia Tech in the first place was because of Demetrius Davis. And with Davis no longer in the fold, we were wondering how long Neville would stick around. Well, Latrell Neville uh, tweeted out earlier this afternoon, locked in um, with the 
turkey emoji on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, Robert Wooten, actually, you know, Virginia Tech's 2020 defensive end out of the state of Texas, said, hey, just letting you guys know, Latrell Neville's staying with, with the Hokies. Like, he's not going to decommit. Now, with all that being said, it is May, but <laughs> yeah, given, given what happened last week, Ricky, I mean, Latrell Neville right now is the highest ranked recruit in the class. Um, that's committed to Virginia yeah. Tech right now. The fact that it looks like they're going to keep him on board for now, at the very least, is an encouraging sign. Yeah, and it, it, it it's better he said that than nothing, right? I mean, I, like you said, it is May. Things can change, but it's an encouraging sign. And um, Mike, you mentioned how Tech's primary goal over the next few weeks was to make sure that everyone that was in the boat stayed in the boat. For sure. Uh, and that everyone was on the train, didn't jump off. And I think that they've done that relatively well with Latrell Neville, and they need to continue to do that because, like you said, he's the highest guy in the class right now. He's the headliner. So I know if Tech has their way, he won't be the headliner. Um, and we can talk about uh, some other or another guy here in a second, which just dropped his, his final six schools tonight. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday night here. Um, but – keeping Neville in the fold is is almost more symbolic than it is actually worth the, the talent. Like he's he's a very talented player. He's got a killer offer list, but keeping him in the fold sends more of a message than um than anything right now because it shows the rest of the of the country and the fan base that hey, yeah, we lost Demetrius Davis and and obviously the coaching staff is upset about that, but um, don't, don't, uh, completely go to Armageddon just yet. When Virginia tech was gaining all that momentum about a month ago, and we talked about on the last podcast, how 24 seven put out the story saying that, you know, Virginia tech was on the, was in the midst of a recruiting surge. That was one end yeah. of the spectrum, right? And then the opposite end of the spectrum was what we were discussing last week on this podcast, right? If Demetrius Davis decommits and if Latrell Neville decommits, then all hell's going to break loose, then who else is going to decommit, right? So we, we talked about two opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, what we have currently, as we sit here recording about a week after um, the Demetrius Davis decommitment, is Latrell Neville looks like he's sticking around for a while, and hopefully he ends up signing with Virginia Tech and everything works out according to plan. And we talked about, okay, try to recruit the guys who are still in the class, right? It sucks that Demetrius Davis is gone. Continue to try to recruit him. Continue to try to bring him back. But also turn your attention more towards the guys who are still here. And Virginia Tech's coaching staff clearly did that with Latrell Neville here. It's encouraging that he's sticking around. What's what's more encouraging is that, at least in the near term, it doesn't look like the class is just going to completely fall apart, which is what it looked like a, a week ago. Yeah. Now, a week later, it's, okay, if we keep Neville in, and he's from Texas, and Landon Watson, Virginia Tech defensive end target, four-star guy, high-end player, would be the highest-ranked player in the recruiting class if he were to commit to Virginia Tech, releases his final six this evening. He's been uh, one of the guys that the Hokies have been after for a long time. He announced the final six this evening of Arizona State, TCU, the Hokies, Tennessee, Cal, and Arkansas. The one team on that list that, if I'm a Hokies fan, I'm really concerned about is Tennessee because Tennessee is pulling in everybody right now. Everybody. Yeah, and I guess part of it could be that um, Tennessee may not have spots for Landon Watson. Uh, I haven't dug into the recruiting class, so I don't know exactly how many ends or, or through edge players that they're planning on taking in this class, but or if they have any spots left. But yeah, I mean, Tennessee's certainly on a roll. Um, I, I don't really know where Tech stands in, in Watson's recruitment. I think they're they're firmly in contention, but I'm I'm not going to proclaim them to be the leader. Um, I do think that getting Landon is pretty damn important, considering I think Kel Kelvin Gilliam's basically not going to happen at this point. Um, I think he just got an LSU offer either today or yesterday. That's supposedly his dream school. Um, he was kind of a, a reach anyway for, for the Hokies. So Landon Watson becomes even more important now given that the other really huge edge prospect that you had on the board and Kevin Gilliam is probably headed elsewhere. Yeah. He's headed elsewhere. Potentially. Um, it looked like before he got that LSU offer that Penn state was probably leading and Penn state has done a really nice job pulling in 
a lot of really strong defensive commitments over the past couple of seasons. And and they have a track record recruiting the state. I mean, they've yeah. been they've been poaching elite talent from Virginia for the last five years, maybe even longer, but at least the last five. I mean, Eter Grossmatos, I, I probably butchered that pronunciation, but oh, just okay. got drafted. Yep. And and he was a, a top, I think he was either third or fourth um, in, I think, the 2017 class. Fredericksburg, Virginia, and, baby. Yeah, yeah, from Virginia, and Penn State pulled him, and next thing you know, he's in the pros. So uh, the the Nittany, Nittany Lions have had a lot of success recruiting uh, Virginia for sure. Yeah, so if the Hokies can try to f- figure out a way, you know, obviously keeping um, Neville is huge. If they're able to find a way to land Watson, the other guy who I think is squarely in play, who's in play anyway, regardless of whether or not they get Watson, but becomes really intriguing, um, especially if they do land Watson, is Naquan Brown, um, another defensive end prospect out of the state of Virginia um, that was a former LSU commit, decommitted from LSU, um, and now he's got an offer list that's you know, goes as far as the eye can see. He's a really impressive prospect. Um, that's another guy that Virginia Tech would love to land. And I think the more guys, the more elite players that Virginia Tech gets in the fold, the better, um, obviously. But I think the momentum that Virginia Tech wasn't able to gain a month ago could still come to fruition. Like we talked about in the last podcast, like it's still possible for the class to be good. Just a couple of things need to go the Hokies way, right? And maybe Neville is the first step of that. Maybe Watson is the second, and then who knows what happens from there. But before we kind of get too far down the line, I think Tech needs to just try to get Watson in first and then see what they can do with Naquan Brown after that. Yeah, and Justin Fuente did a, a two-part interview with Norm Norm Wood of the Daily Press, and if you haven't read that, go read it now. Uh, you should be following Norm anyway. But he he had a question about recruiting, and he he – there's – a bit of question as to exactly what he meant by this, but my interpretation was that he, he tech has some silent commitments that nobody knows about. Um, and while that's, you know, fine and dandy for a bit, we've been hearing that for what a month plus now at a certain point, a, a silent commit is no longer a commit, right? The whole, the whole point of being a silent commitment is that it's something that you want to keep it hush hush. And then you can do your own, uh, announcement and make it a big deal because that's what the kids want to do. Um, so that's why coaches let them do it. But at a certain point, you got to get these kids to announce. So um, I, I don't know who those kids are. I, I have some ideas as to what some possibilities may be. But ultimately, you need to get those recruits to announce now um, because the longer it goes before they announce, to me, it, it, they're basically no longer committed. You need to go ahead and, and get them to go. We've touched on this a little bit before, Ricky, and I, th- I think it's kind of worth bringing up now. Um, with the pandemic and with the recruiting cycle kind of the way that it is, and you have a number of kids this year, the number of kids who have committed already a- at this time of year is way up from where it was a year ago. Do you think that we're going to get around, and now I think a lot of this also has to do with what the world looks like in four or five months, but do you think we could get to the fall with a lot of these kids then starting to take official visits and all of a sudden being like, you know what, maybe I don't want to commit here anymore. And do you think we see a rash of decommitments? Yeah, but I think that that's, I think that's kind of a, a trend that's been happening over the last five years anyway. So I'm not exactly sure how much of it is like induced by the pandemic that's and fair. by the shutdown. I think part of it certainly is because you're right. Kids aren't able to take these unofficial and, and official visits now which the spring is usually one of the biggest times for recruiting. I mean, spring game weekend is a big recruiting weekend for every school, especially Virginia Tech. They usually have well over 100 kids coming for spring game. Um, I mean, it's it's gotten to a point now where the recruiting cycle has moved up so early, and now you're allowed to take official visits earlier than you otherwise were. I think that change was made, what, a year or two ago. Um so, yeah, I, I think it's certainly possible that you're going to see more decommitments this coming fall than you otherwise normally would. But that's kind of the trend and where things are or where things are going. Kids are decommitting more. They're transferring more. There's there's so much roster movement now in college football, and it's really putting coaches in 
constant roster management mode where you're, you're constantly having to recruit kids that are committed, recruit kids that are on your team and keeping them from transferring. I mean, there's, there's so much that has gone into it over the last couple of years. And I think it's only going to increase, uh, especially if the NCAA decides to grant players a one-time transfer, which I don't think is going to pass this year, but it certainly looks like it could pass in the next year or two. Yeah. I, I think the one-time transfer thing is definitely on the table. Um, I'm not sure it'll happen this year either, Ricky, but I think it is going to happen in the next. I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen within the next five years. I think we're headed directly towards that. The NCAA has already relented on allowing players to begin to profit off their image and likeness, which that's to me, that's been a long time coming. I don't know why that that's ever been an issue. They waited too long and now it's a total mess. Yeah. Like I've always been kind of hesitant to pay players. Um, and I know some people are going to say I'm a, I'm a Neanderthal for that, but whatever. Uh, but I've always thought that players should be able to sign endorsement deals and make money off their own image and likeness, because that's something that they've created. I mean, yeah, I I think you should be, be able to enjoy the fruits of your own labor, man. So, um, I I'm, I'm very curious to see what the transfer landscape looks like in the next five years, because we're going to see a rash of transfers and, it's going to become a lot like free agency, especially if these kids are allowed to one-time transfer. And even if they aren't, the NCAA is already granting more and more waivers. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think this is the case now more than ever, but I think it's going to continue to be the case, especially if that one-time transfer rule ends up passing down the line. I think you're going to get to a point where recruiting the guys already in your recruiting class, but even more importantly, recruiting the your own players who have already signed, who are already on the roster, making sure they're happy with where they're at and staying engaged with the program. That's almost going to become more important than the actual recruiting on the trail itself. Uh, Making sure that the guys you have on the roster stick around is going to be infinitely more important. You're already seeing with the transfer portal, how things have evolved over the last year or two. And, I think it's going to continue to progress that way because, you know, if you have a really high profile player um, who's got a prominent role on the roster and let's say he had a good season but decides to transfer anyway, I mean, that that could gut a program. And with the one-time transfer... Oh, it, it will. Yeah. You know, it, it, it most certainly will. You're going to see a higher concentration of talent at the upper level than you've ever seen. For sure. Yeah, and and the NCAA is going to be in a little bit of a race to kind of prevent the the competitive balance, right? And and I don't know how they're going to do that. I mean, you're already at a point now where there are only a handful of teams who are going to have a realistic shot at winning the national championship anyway, just because of the money that's put into the facilities and the recruiting is just much better at a handful of schools than it is anywhere else. So you know, from a blue chip standpoint, there's only a handful of schools who are consistently pulling in those guys in a manner that makes it logical and realistic that, you know, your team will win a national title. There's only a handful of schools right now doing that. So it's not really equal right across college football. Um, if there's, you know, the cream of the crop blue chip schools right now. Um, and then there's, you know, a lot of really, really good programs that, you know, could make the college football playoff, but probably don't have the horses to win the two games that they need to. And I think that will that gap will only further widen with this transfer rule whenever it goes into play. So I, the, the NCAA is going to have to figure out how to kind of structure that to give some of these schools kind of in that upper class, not necessarily elite, like the Floridas, the Notre Dames of the world, give them an opportunity, a realistic opportunity to win a national championship. And some of that's on the school, but some of that's on the NCAA too, to make sure that stuff doesn't get out of hand to the point where only like five schools have a shot at it every year. Yeah. And the NCAA has got a lot on their plate right now. Not only are they, yeah. Not only are they having to worry about the transfer stuff and the image and likeness stuff, but kind of transitioning into what we wanted to talk about next was this whole, um, scholarship distribution and how schools are going to possibly try to circumvent certain scholarship limits and and restrictions on how they can allocate their funds um, with schools cutting sports and things of that nature. Uh, I mean, the NCAA, are they going to be granting waivers and such? Because these schools are going to be under a lot of financial pressure 
when season ticket sales don't happen if because who knows if they're even going to be fans in this in the stands this fall hell if they even have a damn season which i think we're going to have um but donations could go down as well because people aren't making as much money you put all that together and there's bound to be a lot of shortfalls at these schools and virginia tech certainly isn't excluded from that everybody's health is obviously what's most important but when you look at a dollar from a dollars and cents standpoint economic just strictly economically speaking there is nothing more important um to the college football season um than yeah getting it, it's it's the lifeblood of the ncaa it's what keeps all of these these sports going it's what allows these schools to provide equal scholarship dollars and amounts for men and women um, without football, all of that stuff is in jeopardy, and it's it's going to force athletic directors to have to make a lot of tough decisions, and I honestly don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I don't either, and college football, because of the money that it makes for these athletic departments, is just, just infinitely important. I, I can't emphasize enough how important college football is to the livelihood of athletic programs across the country and college basketball, men's college basketball specifically is a close second. You have college football and college basketball that in 90 plus percent of cases on a school by school basis, that's what drives the revenue. It's those two sports pays for the entire athletic department. It's a big reason why a lot of schools can have so many, what we like to call non-revenue sports, right? Baseball, volleyball, Women's basketball is not necessarily in that category, but in a lot of cases, um, it usually is. And it's wrestling. I mean, it's like for for Virginia Tech, it's yeah, for Virginia Tech, it's every single sport other than football and men's basketball. Yeah. Those are now, I shouldn't say non revenue because wrestling and women's basketball generates revenue. But in terms of profit, they're, they're both losses. Yep. And really, at, at a lot of schools, it really is just college football and college basketball are really the only two sports not operating at a loss, right? And it, it led to a discussion that took place on social media, Ricky, that we can dive into here. Um, OxVT is a very popular Twitter account um, across the Virginia Tech landscape. He makes graphs. He puts data points on charts. He does a lot of stuff for Tech Sideline. He's His- his graphics have always been really good. I've always thought that his his work there was pretty top notch. Yeah, he's he's very good. And he put out a tweet that drew a lot of criticism. Um, and I think in in part because of the way it was framed, where he essentially without having it in front of me, Ricky, and I don't know if you have it in front of you right now, but I can I can pull up I can pull up the exact wording really yeah. quick. Yeah, so um, Ricky can pull that up. And Let's be clear that the reason we're talking about this is because it really gripped the what we call hokey Twitter for 48 hours. I mean, it was it was kind of ridiculous. Um, and I think and, and you got involved in it, too, which which is part of the reason we're talking about it. I think there's just a lot of a lot of misunderstanding about all of it. And I want I want you and I at least to be able to make clear where we stand on it. Yep. Um at the very least, it's a very important discussion so, worth having. Yeah, so Ox, Ox tweeted, um, in, in 2019, Virginia Tech women's basketball brought in a meager $885,000 in revenue while incurring $4.3 million in expenses, a loss of $3.4 million. What could that additional $3.4 million do for the football program? Can a $3.4 million loss for a sport be sustained in a COVID-19 world late night. And then I guess that's the, the question cloud emoji. I've never even seen that one before. A little late night thoughts for you. Yeah, basically. Um, and I guess, I hope I'm not um, taking him or, or, or misrepresenting what he's saying here, but I guess his thoughts are is that how how is Virginia Tech going to manage what is guaranteed to be a budget shortfall if fans are not allowed in the stands at full capacity. And even if fans are allowed in the stands at full capacity, does anyone expect football stadiums to be jam packed this year? Right. Probably not. Like I, you're still going to have a good amount of fans show up, 
But even if these places are allowed to operate at 100% capacity, which I'm betting that they aren't, mm-hmm. um, there's no way that fan or th- there's no way that they're going to be able to hit their projected numbers for season ticket sales. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. And a lot of people, I think, took that tweet and said, oh, Ox is suggesting get rid of the women's basketball program, take that $3.4 million, put it to football, which first of all, I didn't think that was what he was saying. I thought he was making the argument that athletic departments were going to have some tough decisions to be made um, just due to the pandemic in general and how they're kind of going to have to manage the finances of their athletic department because we're in an unprecedented time where schools are taking a pretty big hit. And it's, it's a situation across athletic departments, you know, throughout college football where, you know, different schools are managing this different ways. You know, we've seen at Nebraska, for example, they cut the wrestling program about two months ago, and that made headlines. Cincinnati cut men's soccer. Yep. Louisville cut like forty different positions. Yep, like st- like administrative staff positions from their department. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. And and sports are getting anytime sports are getting cut from a school and there's less opportunities for student athletes. It's a big deal. And anytime- and down here in the seven five seven ODU cut wrestling, which was quite the surprise yeah so like anytime that happens it's pretty serious and i think the reason why ox drew (laughs) some criticism was number one because people thought that he was suggesting cut women's basketball put the money towards football let's see where it ends up also i think anytime you bring women's basketball into the fold people just automatically think you're sexist if you suggest that they're incurring a loss that was the other portion of it which you know people get uncomfortable talking about but that that's pretty clear based on the replies to his tweet that people were insinuating that oxvt was sexist and if you think that you know to each their own but in regards to the discussion about the school finances i think it's a conversation worth having i'm not saying cut the women's basketball program what i'm saying is and and kind of what i alluded to with my tweet is you know Look, if OxBT substituted wrestling or track and field or whatever it may be into that tweet, other than women's basketball, would people be having the same kind of reaction? Because in my opinion, all sports are worth talking about, right? All of these sports, women's basketball, wrestling, lacrosse, track and field, and softball, baseball, any of these non-revenue generating sports, in my opinion, are all equally as important, right? And you get to a point where, you know, some of these schools are going to have to make some difficult decisions. And the hope at all these schools, including Virginia Tech, is that no sports would have to necessarily be cut and you can figure out how to manage the finances in other ways. Ideally, Ricky, there would be a college football season with fans and nobody would have to really worry about this anymore. You'd bring in enough money that, you know, while you may not be operating at as large of a profit as you would be in a normal academic year or a normal, you know, full calendar year, you'd at least be able to recover some of the losses that you're incurring here early in the calendar year during football season but with the way things are looking right now and again it's mid-may a lot of stuff has changed we've learned a lot since this whole pandemic started a little yeah. over two months ago it's an hour by hour thing not a day by day thing right and and facts change and data changes and a lot can happen between now and the fall but how it looks right now is that we're not going to have football with fans in the stands if we're lucky to have it at all I think we'll have a season. I'm not sure there'll be fans in the stands. Definitely not full capacity the way things are looking at the moment. And I think because of that, athletic departments are going to have decisions to make, whether that be cutting sports or cutting salaries of staff members. We've seen that too, like you mentioned. We've seen coaching staffs take pay cuts. We've seen, you know, out at Boise, the whole coaching staff's on furlough right now for, for the football program. Like different schools are handling things different ways. And they're going to have to be some tough decisions to be made the longer this pandemic drags out. Yeah, I wrote something um, kind of it, it was kind of a, a bird's eye view of all this. I, I didn't go too into detail, but um, I wrote something for um, all Hokies at Sports Illustrated. You should read it. Um, Please. Mike read and it. I, um, yeah, I've put all sorts of content there. Um, but in 2019, this is according to. The Richmond Times Dispatch per David Teal, which is a legend, as we all know. Big legend. Um, yeah, tech football accounted for 84.4% of 2019 ticket revenue for the athletic program. So if you have no fans or even limited fans, just imagine how much money is coming out of the budget. And tech isn't a program that runs at a giant surplus anyway. Right. Up until two years ago, Tech was running in the negative. I think the last two years, 
were the first time that Tech's run a surplus since like the first year of 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 Whit Babcock's arrival. And Shout that's out, drive one 25. criticism of Whit. That's one criticism of of Whit is that uh, for for a few years there, Tech was running deficits and. Uh, we weren't seeing a, a a market increase in fundraising and and, and other revenue, but I don't know where this money is going to come from, and I don't think anyone outside the program really does. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to bring in larger donations uh, like they have for like the weight room or for the student performance center. Um, I don't know if they're going to be laying people off. God, I hope not, because. I still know plenty of people in the, in the tech athletic department, and I would absolutely hate for any of them to be put in, in that situation because I've been put in that situation before, and it's not fun. Um, I, I I just don't know where it's going to come from. I'm I am confident that Wit will not cut any sports this year. Um, I think the I think the 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 non profit generating sports are pretty important to wit and he's shown that with his investments. And that's another criticism of wit is that a lot of these investments that Whit Babcock has made have been not necessarily football and men's basketball centric, but they've either been heavily towards the, the nonprofit sports like the, the new new rector field house um, or it's been something that can be shared equally like the student app or the student performance center uh, which is supposed to be finished here in the next couple months. Um, so I, I think Witt has shown that these sports are pretty important to him. He's taken a good amount of time to make the hires for a lot of these sports. And a lot of these coaches were guys that he hand or guys or gals that he handpicked. So I'd be kind of surprised if Virginia tech ended up cutting one of these sports, but they're, they're going to have to find ways to either cut costs or increase revenue and I'm not sure anybody's increasing revenue right now. On the coaching discussion, you know, with Babcock, you know, you talk about the coaching hires he's made and a lot of the guys he's handpicked. Um, think about all of these people that he's brought into the fold at Virginia Tech and how many hires he's hit on. John Sung for women's lacrosse, home run. John Sheff for baseball, home run. And I'm not going to call him a home run. Well, he's too. He's OK. That's fair. He's I think he's been a a, a decent hire. I I also think that we need to see a bit more from 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 tech baseball. This but it's going to be a big it's year. not been a bad hire. Yeah, it hasn't. It, this was going to be an important year. And, and yeah. that's fair. And that's fair, yeah. because I think we can have that discussion here with football, with Justin Puente, too, where it hasn't necessarily been a home run hire. It's been adequate. It's been adequate. Right. Like, yeah, they've had good seasons. Um, they had one poor season by Virginia Tech standards, and then they had a mediocre season. Right. With eight with eight wins. It could easily have been more or less. Um, so jury's a little bit out there, but he hired Buzz Williams. That went really well. Mike Young. That seems to be going well. I mean, they're ahead of schedule in year one. Right. For the most part. So, yeah, um, Pete Kenny, DeMore, yeah, softball. Pete DeMore, Kenny Brooks, like the list is really good. Um, and he, and he's done a really nice job yeah. with his hires, uh, regardless of whether it's been, you know, football and men's basketball or the other sports to your point. I was going to say he's the, the personnel decisions that he's made have been really the, the best part of, of wits tenure as athletic director in, in at Virginia tech. Um, but how he handles this financial crisis is probably, going to leave maybe even a bigger mark on his legacy um, because if, if, and again, I really don't, I pray to God it doesn't get to this point. If, if tech does get to the point where a sport has to get cut um, there, there are going to be a lot of ramifications for that. And there's going to be a lot of blowback from a lot of fans um, and, this is something that I've always, I've always kind of, that's kind of frustrated me. Or, or you have these people that point out that um, other programs in the ACC have fewer sports and therefore have less money that's being drained out of the football program to subsidize these sports. And they've used that as an argument for cutting uh, other sports. 
in order to feed the football program. And I get that you're trying to maximize your chance at the sport that makes the most money. But maybe I'm naive, but I've always thought there's been a certain value of having a well-rounded athletic department that is not only successful in different sports, but also offers a wide variety of sports. And I think Tech has, what, 22 uh, sports that are offered. A lot uh, of varsity sports. Yeah, at the NCAA level. And that's I think that's second highest in the ACC uh, behind Florida State. And to me, I, I think that that's, that's a valuable accomplishment that Tech is able to run an athletic program that offers athletes of, di- of different disciplines a chance to perfect that discipline at the, at the college level and get, a, and get a scholarship while doing it. And I would hate to see Tech lose some of that, um, some of that value. Yeah, it's the whole like rising tide raises all ships. And let's be clear here. There's there's a zero percent chance that women's basketball gets cut. Zero. Like that's that's not happening. Zero. It it's by far the most popular sport um, on the women's side, at Virginia Tech. Uh, the they have a, an actual group of donors that donate specifically to the to the women's basketball program, um, and people forget like. I know it's been a while now, but like 20, 25 years ago, tech women's basketball was actually one of the best programs in the country. Um, so there's, there's some history there. And a lot of these people that donate to the program, remember that. And, and they were donating to the program then. I mean, there were times where castle Coliseum was packed wall to wall for a women's game. And I know that that's hard to envision now, but tech women's basketball has some pedigree there. Uh, so there's, there's a 0% chance that women's basketball gets cut. Um, if if a sport were to get cut, um, I, I don't want to speculate on what it is, but I, I will bet a large sum of money that it will not be women's basketball. Yeah, and the, the funny thing about all this was that Ox also said on Twitter that he wasn't suggesting that women's basketball would get cut, but by then he already stirred enough he stirred the pot enough at that point that all there's, hell is breaking loose. There, there's an argument to be made that having having an athletic department that offers multiple disciplines in a wide variety of disciplines does drain your athletic department. And while I'm willing to listen to that argument, I disagree with it because, again, I do think that there is a certain value of having a, a, a breadth of sports in your department that you offer. Um, and I think that that was more the argument that he was making is that tech tech has a, 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 an obstacle that they may never really be able to overcome because they do offer this wide variety of sports. It's just more and more money that's being drained from the athletic department that the football program is generating. Right. Yeah, no. And I, and I totally agree. And I, I agree with you, right? Like I do think there's a value to having a well-rounded athletic department with several sports. Um, that are not only, you know, participating in games, but also, you know, happen to be pretty good in their respective sport. Like, I think there's a lot of value to that. Now, the question a lot of people are going to ask is, how do you quantify that, right? And it's quantified right now by dollars and cents. And really, men's basketball and the football program at Virginia Tech right now are the only sports making money, right? And that's usually not that big of a deal, but when there's a pandemic, it becomes a big deal, right? And there's yeah. one other there, there's one other point I want to make because we talked about it kind of being a very important season for the football program anyway. But there's a lot of money uh, to be made by bowl games, Ricky. A lot of money. And yes. the bigger the bigger the bowl game, the more money you tend to receive um, as an athletic department as a football program. And if you thought it was an important season for Virginia Tech just on the field for we talk about <laughs> recruiting, we talk about yeah. sustained momentum for Justin Fuente and company, something that hasn't even been discussed that I want to bring up is the fact that this could be a pretty big, big deal financially for Virginia Tech if they're able to make a big time bowl game this fall for the first time in a while. Yeah, I mean, a New Year six game is going to be tough. Um it's never say never, right? Um, but I I don't see that happening. But being in being in the tier one versus being in tier two for the ACC makes a huge difference. 
right. uh, in, in terms of your exposure and in terms of the money you're going to get from that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is going to play a big role. And also I, I think having the ACC network around definitely helps. Yep. Definitely. Um, it, 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 having to navigate this without the, the extra revenue from the ACC network, albeit limited. Cause look, the ACC network is not generating the revenue that the SEC network is or the big 10 network is or anything like that. But it's, it's a supplemental piece to the greater or the larger picture. And if you didn't have that supplemental income, it would just make things worse. Um, so whip whip Babcock has a lot in front of him. And I certainly don't envy the man right now. Uh, Cause he's, He's got a lot on his plate. He has a lot of tough decisions to make. I I think it's much more likely that we see uh, pay cuts across the board for high level positions, and that would include head coaches. Um, I think a lot of coaches would be willing to agree to that. Um, I think I even think Justin Fuente would be willing to agree to that. Uh, at least I would hope so. Um, but. I think we're going to get to that point before you start to see sports being axed. Um, I, I I don't see Whip Babcock putting any of these sports out to pasture. Cutting sports is a last resort. We have no other option deal. Cutting, cutting a sport, to me, there, there's so much negative PR that's associated with it that... Even even though it may save you money in terms of costs, I do think you alienate a section of your donors when you decide that um, one sport is 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 not necessary, right? Um, and how do you? I mean, like, how do you even decide what which sport is more valuable when you're talking about the nonprofit sports? I mean if you have sports that are relatively similar in terms of the amount of money that they're costing to run you bingo, how how the hell do you figure that out? I mean, I don't like there's, there's no way to go about that without pissing people off. Um, and, and making them feel uncomfortable. That was my argument on Twitter. You hit it right on the head. (laughs) What I suggested and you know, a lot of people in my opinion, in the replies to Ox were making arguments about him using the women's basketball example, you know, they were making arguments against that for all the wrong reasons. In my opinion, they were talking about men. I mean, I, I kid you not. The reply said, you know, men don't respect women and, you know, women's basketball, nobody cares about it. It's not seen as important. Like you're seeing all of these sort of comments. Right. And what I said was that if it was wrestling, if it was lacrosse, if it was, um, track and field, whatever. Like, would you have the same energy that you're bringing to the table right now? And I think the answer to that is absolutely not, right? I don't think people would be reacting across the board like we saw in, in replies to Ox in the same way. My point is they should react in the same way, whether it's women's basketball or wrestling or baseball or softball or track and field, whatever sport it may be. In my opinion, once you get outside of football and men's basketball, Everybody's on equal playing field. But if you're going to decide to cut a sport, picking and choosing between these these non what we're calling nonprofit sports, popularly you know termed you know non revenue generating, whatever, like that's very tough. Like it's a very tough decision to make at that point. Because to your point, what you just said is one thousand percent on the money. How do you decide if wrestling or if softball or if baseball is more important than the other? Right. Wrestling at Virginia Tech, they have a really good program. They've had sustained success. They wouldn't want to cut wrestling, right? But if you have years that are kind of up and down in all these different sports, baseball's good one year, softball's good the next, and baseball is a down year, and track and field's good one year and bad the next, like, how do you look at a program and say you're the one that gets cut if they're all kind of around the same, the same playing field from a profit-loss perspective? That's a really, really difficult decision for an athletic department to make, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that I'm not in a position where I have to make that call. Um, but I think to to kind of wrap it up, I I think we can all agree that the the goal here is that no sports get cut, um, no jobs are lost, and through whether it be pay cuts or 
um, increased fundraising or whatever method it is, the ideal goal here would be that tech would be able to fund all of their sports and all of their scholarships and not have to lay anyone off. Yep. Um, and I, I really hope that that's the case across the country. Um, cause Lord knows we've got way too many people on unemployment right now that are, that are having to go through not having a job and all that that entails. And I wouldn't wish that on any single person. Um, especially a lot of the people that I know at Virginia tech who are really good, hardworking, great people. And they really do invest a lot of time into the program. Um, and I'd hate to see them have to go through that. So hopefully this works out. Um, this is, and you know, this kind of goes to a, a, you know, a greater topic, which we don't have to dig into is that there's, there's a lot of financial stress going on across the world. I mean, it's happening at, it's happening at your local restaurant. It's happening at your local business. It's happening at the big business that sits in your hometown. The Dow is down 900 points the last two days. Yeah. I mean, and just beyond the stock market, I mean, unemployment's hit a number that it's never hit before. Like there are a lot of people in the country right now and really in the world that are dealing with financial stress and all that that entails. And I, I think we all hope that no one, the, the, the fewer people that have to go through that, the better. And I hope that Virginia tech isn't in that group. Yeah. And at least in the near term, it doesn't seem like the athletic department is going and, to put in that position. In the yeah. And Mike, like you said, it's really early. We don't know what sports in the fall is going to look like. We don't even know if if these teams are going to be able to start practicing in the summer. Like Justin Fuente said, uh, I guess it was about a month ago or so, that he needed six weeks to get his team ready in order to play. Uh, are they going to be able to get six weeks? Are they going to be able to start the season on time? Are they going to play non-conference games? There, there are so many questions here that, we don't, we just don't have answers to because it's too damn early. Um, and unfortunately we're all just kind of left sitting here wondering exactly what's going to happen. And we're all left to speculate. Um, because like you said, things can change in the hour. Uh, and the, the entire narrative, the entire feeling across the country can change in an instant. And there's no way of knowing how things are going to look on June 13th, yeah, June 13th, rather than May 13th, which is when we're recording this podcast. Yeah, I mean, things are changing. Imagine, like, just, just think about how much the world has changed in the last month and a half, right? So a month and a half from now is July. It's my birthday. That's right. <laughs> a month and a half, month and a half from now is, is July. So imagine how different the world is going to look in July. It, it, it could be light years different than what we're seeing now. Yep. No, I, I'm absolutely with you. So we'll we'll have to see how this all evolves, Ricky. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Um, and, you know, I don't think there are any easy answers right now. I think there's a reason why decisions haven't been made from a football standpoint, obviously. There's a lot of time between now and the fall, um, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how this all pans out. Yeah, and and for those who missed that article that I wrote on, on SI about the financial struggles that tech is going through in there. I mentioned that Tim Sands, president Sands um, is targeting early to mid June for an announcement as to how Virginia tech is going to handle students on campus. Um, and while that isn't necessarily a uh, going to be a tell as to what sports are going to look like at Virginia tech, it'll give us some insight because if students are going to be allowed on campus, uh, which they're starting to be allowed on campus at other schools across the country. That could mean that it's a bit easier for tech to, to return um, and have their football players on campus and start having practices. Um, so that would de obviously be a good sign. If Virginia tech doesn't have kids on campus for the fall semester, that's not necessarily a death knell for, for football, but it may not be a good sign. Yeah. And, you know, President Sands said that you'll start to see kind of breadcrumbs and some smaller decisions being made before we get to mid-June. And so the decision that they make about fall classes and whether or not students will be back on campus 
won't be a surprise one way or another um, because of the smaller decisions that'll be made along the way. So that's what he said. We'll, we'll figure out kind of what happens along with that. I mean, I know that they're constantly evaluating and trying to make decisions to the best they best they can with the data that they have. I don't envy any of them at all, whether it be Sam, no. whether it be Whit Babcock, not even just centered around Virginia Tech, but just the government, <laughs> um, other schools, yeah. like state and local officials. Like, I don't envy anybody having to work through this day to day. My mom is actually one of them working for HHS um, in an executive level. So she's kind of dealing with this on a daily basis with her yeah. job. And it's just... Man, it's it's pretty depressing to talk about. A lot of people sick, a lot of people dying, the economy struggling. There's a lot, a lot going on. So hopefully it gets better um, because we're in May and we're still semi locked down in a lot of places. And it's pretty hard to believe we've been inside for two months. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is, man. It but, is. But. Yeah, so we'll have we'll have Andrew on this next podcast. We'll be back next week. We're trying to do at least one of these a week, sometimes two, depending on you know what breaks and what we have to talk about. Yeah, if big news hits and stuff like that. It just so happened that our last pod really coincided perfectly with with Demetrius Davis's um, decommitment, which obviously wasn't planned because we didn't know it was coming. Right. Uh, but you know, and we'll see. But you know, thank thank you to everyone who's continuing to listen, continuing to tweet at us, uh, sharing the pod, um, leave us a review, um, go go to Sports Illustrated, All Hokies, follow all of our work there. There's a bunch of different guys who aren't on the podcast um, that are doing work over there for for Mike, and they're doing an excellent job. So make sure you're reading their content, uh, make sure you're listening, make sure you're sharing with your friends. And if you haven't left review yet and told me how much of a joke I am, go ahead and do that now. Five stars, just though. Pull it up. Pull it up while you're listening to the podcast. You can just write it really quick. Ricky the Blue is a joke. Five stars. And and leave it at that. And then we can be done. Um, but no, in all seriousness, your feedback is always welcome. My DMs are open. I'm usually pretty responsive. Mike, I don't know about you, but you can either tweet at me. You can DM me. Yep. You can email me, which you can probably find somewhere. But let us know what you think, man. If you have any questions you want us to answer on the pod, topics you want us to talk about, recommended guests, which I'm not going to put a name out there yet, but we're working on um, somebody who, if you're if you're a real hokey Twitter person, you know who this person is, and um, he's he he's definitely an old sage of of Virginia Tech. So um, just possibly be on the lookout for that. Yeah, we got a couple people that are in the pipeline that we're trying to lock down, which would be great if, if yeah, we can land all these is. guys. So, you know, we'll keep you posted on that. Andrew will join us the next time. Um, Ricky, I hope you will be joining us the next time. Yes. Yes. And I yes. will be, I will also <laughs> be joining the next time. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Mike, Mike is always here, right? Like Mike is, Mike is, even though the man lives in Columbus half the year, Mike is always here. No matter what time of night, what time of day, the man is available. I figured and, out and a way we, to hit record. <laughs> what do they always say? The best ability is availability, right? Yeah, that's that's right. So, so even though you sound like crap, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're always available. I am. That I am. <laughs> that I am. Well, yeah. Uh, Andrew, let us know what you think of this podcast when you listen to it. So that's my personal <laughs> plug to you, buddy. Um, for, for my buddy, Ricky LeBlue, I'm Mike McDaniel. And until next time, go Hoagies.